You're listening to Thinking Biblically. Hello, everyone. This is Alan Gilman with another edition of Thinking Biblically, a podcast that is dedicated to exploring how all Scripture speaks to all of life. This week, we're going to be looking at how the Bible speaks to how we're to relate to government. Um, but before we do that, I just want to say how happy I was to have my son Daniel back last week when we looked at what I call the meaning of the shofar. I think you could see that over the the top left-hand corner of the screen, the shofar that I, I blew. I didn't blow it. I, I really blew it last last time, and uh, you can check that out as we explored the this very important biblical symbol and what it means. Uh, generally speaking, and, and especially at this time of year of, uh, of the Jewish High Holy Days. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it's three episodes back, uh, I did a, uh, I covered the topic of, um, of the, what I call the fear factor with regard to COVID-19. And that was my first attempt at trying to speak into how this past year and a half is affecting so many people and, and how we've related to it. And I shared some my own personal struggles and, and what I've realized in, in relating uh, to uh, this this thing that's affected all of us all over the world. And I don't know how much I want to get into COVID in particular in, in this episode. It's What I'm trying to provide is a, a biblical perspective on how we're to relate to government because government has played such a role with regard to how the COVID situation is, is affecting all of us. Now, there are all sorts of different opinions of what people think. Um, and um, when I first started with, uh, with, with, with dealing with this, just like everybody else back last March, March 2020, and the government brought in some regulations that we thought were going to be just for a couple of weeks as they kind of got a handle on things. They were going to f- help do things to flatten the curve. Um, I was like so many people, and I guess a lot of people still now, right? I was all completely on board, and if I'd hear people um, being very highly critical of of the government, especially people that claim to believe the Bible and cl- claim to to love God, doesn't the Bible teach us that we're to to respect and submit to governing authorities? Well, that's exactly what we're going to look at, because while that's true, it doesn't exactly mean what a lot of people think that it means. And it took me a while to grapple with it. I shared some of that a few weeks ago. You might want to check that out. So far, that's been my most popular uh, podcast to date. And then I did a follow up to that the week after. And then we talked about the show for our last time. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe. So say that right at the beginning, right? Uh, subscribe to uh, my YouTube channel or however you're getting the the audio version please do that um it really really helps um hopefully it helps you as much as it helps me uh but um yeah so let me let me get back to get back to the story a little bit because life is a story and and um story has a big part to play in, in understanding how we are to live life the way god wants us to uh and so as I said, back in, in March 2020, uh, there was an announcement that we would, uh, everything would shut down for a couple of weeks and, and 
as I mentioned a few weeks ago, some of my kids were quite concerned about their older parents, and, and I was uh, dealing with some skin cancer back then. As far as you know, I'm completely over, and I'm very thankful to the Lord for that. Uh, but at the time, there was concern because I had a, this condition, and, and who knows, maybe I was going to need chemotherapy and all that kind of stuff, and there's all this concern. And uh, it was it was around that time, I can't remember the date, but a, a friend of mine uh, told me that he, he found a book that he wanted to, to give to me, and uh, he's this person's very into history, and he found a couple of copies. There's a pe- couple of people he knew that would be really interested. Well, I was one of them, and he was right. And so I didn't even see him when he dropped it by. Remember those days? And uh, people were hardly around. There were hardly any cars on the streets. Uh, that was, you know, early spring 2020. And so he dropped off this book, and it helped me to see this key passage, Romans 13, which I'm eventually going to read, but I want to read it in light of what I learned from this book. Now, you might think that's a little backwards. So this book that I'm going to show you in a minute helped me understand how we're supposed to relate to government based on what the Bible teaches, and primarily in this key passage, Romans 13, that's often used to to tell us that we have to do whatever the government tells us to do. Now, is it right to take a, a, a book? It almost sounds like the book is telling us what the Bible says. Well, see, one of the ways we need, the way we need to learn to think biblically is we need to see it in light of how it's meant to be lived out. Sometimes we think, well, if we were just on a desert island with just the Bible, and God, and we prayed and asked him for help, and we could get it all figured out. But the Bible's actually meant to be worked out in the laboratory of real life. And so often it says people have sought to live out the Bible that we're able to see what the Bible truly intends. And and what this book did was it put a spotlight on what the Bible was actually saying. That somehow... Just reading the Bible alone in uh, a more sterile type of environment would just mean my mind. Not that sterile, I guess. But this, uh, this book put a light on what the Bible was actually saying and caused me to realize that I had missed key aspects of what was actually intended in what was being written. Now, I'm, I'm going to get to Romans 13. I'm going to read it in a couple of minutes, but I want to share the book and what this book is about and the part in the book that really, really helped me. It still took me quite a while to really get what the Bible is teaching on this. And I I hope to be able to journey with you over the next few minutes in getting a better handle on what the Bible says about how we are to relate to government. Okay, so here's the book. There, I think you can see it pretty well. It's called Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed by Philip Haley, or Halley, I'm not too sure how to pronounce it. It was written in 1979, and you can see here the subtitle is, if I could read it off the screen here, The Story of the Village of Le Chambon and How Goodness Happened There. Uh, So Philip Halley uh, was an author, uh, author, philosopher, and, and longtime professor, uh, he was very interested in ethics, 
And if you don't know about Le Chambon, I'll tell you, so I'll tell you briefly a little bit of the background. Le Chambon was a little Protestant town in the south of France that during the Second World War helped to hide Jewish people and to help them to safety against the wishes of the authorities. And uh, the writer, uh, Philip Halley, uh, Jewish man, it's from reading the book, not, not necessarily religious, not clear how much he believed in God. He simply analyzed this story um, as an ethicist and was really struck by how goodness prevailed in that very, very dark time. Now, as you know, this is not the only story, too bad there's not more of them, but there are many stories of how people went against what the prevailing authorities were dictating with regard to Jewish people and to and to other other policies of Nazi and Nazi-like governments. And uh, for some of us, it's kind of easy to see that when there is very clear murderous intent, then, and if it's coming from the government, then we must we must do something about it. In in Jewish tradition, there is the idea of how saving a life trumps even God's laws, so that if on 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 the Sabbath day, very religious Jewish, uh, very religious Jewish people will break the Sabbath, do things that they believe Scripture tells them they're not supposed to do during the, the Sabbath. But you know, if somebody needs to be driven to the hospital. You're not supposed to drive on on Shabbat on the Sabbath. But if somebody needs to be driven to the hospital to save their life, you do it. Um, and it is is it is um, actually that's rooted in Scripture that there are a, a way to look at scriptural di- directives in a kind of in a based on a certain kind of priority priority. And so. For some people, here's the thing, though. Most people didn't do what uh, the leader of, of the movement um, in Le Chambeau was uh, Andre Trocme. He was a reformed pastor, and he understood that it was incumbent upon him as a true Christian to take care of the, these Jewish people who were in great mortal danger. Uh, and they would do all sorts of things, you know, you know, forging um, ration cards and all sorts of things in in order to preserve life. Sadly, most people didn't do this sort of thing. And many people, from my understanding, didn't do what Pastor Truck May did because they believed that they were supposed to obey the government and it was wrong to disobey the government. Uh, and they often lean on Romans 13, which is what I'm going to read, uh, to, uh, you know, God says we have to obey the government, and so they're, they're the government, and we have to do whatever they say. But there were people, some of them were believers, some of them were not believers, uh, who thankfully disobeyed government. So the thing that struck me in, 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 the, in the book uh with regard to this topic, in the, the book is well worth reading. It's an amazing story. 
um, of plain and ordinary people doing the hard thing for the sake of what was right. But what the thing that really got me was there's a scene well into the book where some um, officials are going to come and visit the town. They're pretty aware of what's going on there, uh, that they're harboring Jewish people. And so some big official is going to be visiting and the town is going to give them the red carpet treatment. And part of that, and back in those days, having a church service was would, would have been one of the things that you would do. And so there was a the church service that the officials went to. And the person who was preaching, and it wasn't past, Pastor Chuck May at the time, the person who was preaching used Romans 13. Now you might think that Romans 13, which I'm going to start getting to right now, Romans 13 begins with, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Well, when the big authorities are coming to town, that's a pretty good passage to preach on, right? Now, you might think, well, they're doing it to fool them. So they'll make it look like they're being good little boys and girls when the, the you know the the big awful um, government beasts show up to town. Well, okay, everybody, while they're here, let's all behave. Uh, you know, mind your p's and q's, whatever that actually means. But you know what I you know, and uh, you know they'll stick around. They won't. We'll hide, make sure they're not going to find any of the Jewish people or any evidence of what we're doing here. And then when they leave, we'll go back to disobeying them sort of thing. And I imagine that that's a strategy. I don't know if it's the best strategy, but that wasn't their strategy. Whoever decided to to preach that sermon that way was not only a genius, but actually properly understood the passage. I said it before, I'll say it again. It doesn't mean what we think it means. And yes, I know that's a, uh, a shout out to the Princess Bride. If that doesn't mean anything to you, that's you're, you're fine. You're fine. So I'm going to read Romans 13 verses 1 through 10, and let's see what's really going on here. I'm going to start again. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now already there's a hint that there's something going on here more than simply just do as you're told. Because 
on one hand, in that governing authorities are fulfilling the will of God by keeping peace and order in a society, punishing criminals, protecting other people, they deserve to be supported through taxes. But when Paul writes, um, so revenue, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed, there might already be a hint here of let's not forget that there is someone that must be honored over and above and first and foremost before anybody else, and that's God. And so we, we see this as we go along. Now, in my translation that I'm using, it's not my translation, the version of the Bible that I'm reading is the English Standard Version. Maybe one day I'll talk why I prefer it. I'm not saying it's the only good Bible to read, uh, but I use the English Standard Version. And I, headings are helpful, um, but they break up the thought. And so there's a major heading following verse uh, verse 7 that I just read. And so it gives the impression that you know we stop, take a big breath, and then we go on as if there's a, a new major thought. But uh, I, I was mentioning this uh, elsewhere recently. The Bible was not written in verses. The Bible was not written in paragraphs. The Bible was not written in chapters. There are parts of the Bible where the sections are very clear. Uh, but the Greek New Testament, which was written in an, an all-caps version of of, of this Greek called Koine Greek uh, from the first century had no punctuation. There were no paragraphs. There's no punctuation. There, so there's no actual sentences in the way we understand sentences broken up by periods. There wasn't even spaces between the words. And yet when people read it, they knew where the words were. Um, that's all to say when we encounter paragraphs the verses, of course, um, and all, all such other kinds of breaks, the chapters, and now we've got headings and things. That's been put on it by the editors of that particular Bible version. So I'm going to read verse 7 again, and then I'm going to read through verse 10. So pay to all what is owed. I'm doing that because there really is no break here. There might be a break of thought, but you wouldn't know that by the way it's written. You'd only know that by analyzing the text. Verse 7, pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another, sorry, sorry, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Is he talking about the biblical law? Is he talking about the civic civil law? Of the Roman government? Might be. But it's probably God's law because he goes on for the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And yet any other commandment are summed up in this word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So notice Paul slides from talking about governing authorities and he's talking about respect is owed you give respect to whom it's owed honor to whom honor owed 
owe no one to anyone, and he moves into God's own commandments, which might be telling us that God's law, God's rules, and we're going to have to talk about God's law and what that means um, um, more another time. I mentioned last week with the when I was talking about the shofar, um, I believe I put a link in, and I could put it in again about is the Torah God's law for today? And so a, a negative view of God's commandments tends to filter tends to filter this out. But this is very very important in trying to understand the whole passage. Because how this culminates with what I read in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And this is what was preached on that day in Le Chambon when, as part of teaching Romans 13, that yes, we need to submit to governing authorities, but in our relationship first and foremost to God, we must put love of neighbor first. So the idea of our need to submit to government is actually limited by what is right and good unto our fellow human beings. So there's a place for government in, in God's, what we call his economy, and the way that he wants the world to work, there's a very important place for government. But does that mean, and of course we're to submit to government, so to submit to governing authorities, but does that mean the government has been authorized by God to tell us to do anything they want us to do and to tell us not to do what they want us to do? Did I say that right? You know what I mean? Can they tell us whatever they want? And as I said, it took me a while to make the connection because I read the book early on during the COVID restrictions, but I I really didn't get it. So if you watched uh, the, the Fear Factor episode, I uh, talked about some of the tension between my wife and I because I thought we had to do as we were told and I was scared. Um, and she felt more free, and part of that was her desire to see the grandchildren, where it appeared that based on the government restrictions and what was how my son and daughter-in-law were, they were doing life in their home, we wouldn't be able to see them. And I remember during that time, Robin, my wife, dared to say, the government has no right to tell me who to, I can have in my home, and I... Again, I, I felt the fear, the fear of, of the sickness, the potential sickness, as well as the fear of, of government. And we have a big family, and at the time, many of our family members were in town, and it's, it's normal for us every Friday night to have our family over. And that be, also became all this tension. How many family members are we uh, are we allowed? Are we going to allow, have any of them over? And under what conditions? And and I wasn't seeing that I was I was giving over to the government something that actually was is not for them. It's not within their jurisdiction from God to enforce to tell me who I can have in my house and who I can't have in my house. 
Now, while I, I don't want to get into some of the, the specifics about COVID, um, and I want to more focus on our relationship to government, um, I've often thought of, as, as, as I was the one that was trying to um, champion the, we need to do what the authorities are telling us to do, um, I was, I was, I was, one of my illustrations was, let, let's say we were living near railroad tracks and there was a, a, a derailment of dangerous chemicals and we were ordered by the government to, to evacuate, you know, are we don't, we're just going to do our own thing and not listen to them. And that's the way I was, I was talking. Basically I was saying what they're calling us to do or what they're telling us to do is reasonable. They're doing it for our safety. And this is where things get uh, have gotten really, really confused and where we need just for a moment to talk about COVID. I mentioned this in, in the Fear Factor episode that one of the things that happened at the beginning is we were told that asymptomatic people, uh, people that were not showing any evidence of having the virus, were potential mortal threats to other people. And so now we were scared of everyone. The problem with that is there is no way, actually there kind of is a way with, with certain kinds of testing, but they didn't give us access to this sort of thing. We couldn't test people. Um, and and so um, the government was controlling, seeking to control our behavior based on things that we, and information that we could never really determine. And remember too, and I talked about this a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, is at the beginning, we thought that this was going to be like the Spanish flu from 1918. And there were going to be so many dead people all over the place. The body bags were going to pile up and that didn't happen. And um, also where we were living, there were so few COVID cases. And yet we live in this big, broad geographical entity called Ontario and there were parts of Ontario that were uh, more, we call them COVID hotspots than other areas. And yet our our government was making dis- uh, decisions that were restricting the movements and the, the, the lives of, of people right across this vast, vast region. And it, came, it comes down to a lot of the, the, the specifics and how it was affecting us as, as citizens of 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 this region really didn't make sense. But what was happening was we were supposed to listen to these so-called experts and the political leaders and simply behave. And again, at the you know first couple of weeks when nobody really knew what was going on, that's one thing. But as this thing has gone on and we're looking towards, you know, we're in the past a year and a half of this, we know a lot more and we have acts we do have access to a lot of information and i don't want to get on to yet another tangent about how this information has been handled and all the rest but really what it comes down to who is it to de- who who gets to decide how we how we are going to live our lives and there's there's aspects of our life that is for the government to do. And then other aspects, which really it's not their business. 
But what do we do when they say that it is? Now, when it comes to inconvenience, maybe we shouldn't be too irked. But when it comes to the welfare of people, their mental health, we, we know many of the things that have happened during this time where people have been truly suffering. And yet I'm a little I'm I'm somewhat ashamed that I didn't take that time. And maybe I should be doing it more in, in finding people who actually need to be reached out to um, who have been lonely in, in all this time and and realize that. Yeah, well, maybe I even get into trouble if I visit somebody who the government says I'm not supposed to visit, but maybe I should risk that because the commandment to love my neighbor, it actually is overrides anything that anybody might tell me, and especially the government. And so we need to understand from a biblical perspective that the authority of government is actually limited. It's becoming more and more a thing that the government wants to tell us just about what to think. Um, they, we have, you might have heard of Dr. Jordan Peterson, and one of the things that put him into the into the public sphere, public eye, became popular was when he took a stand against some uh, human rights legislation, changes to our criminal code, that he felt would make him, uh, that would enforce what he calls compelled speech. With, and this would be regard to what are called gender pronouns, another tangent I don't want to go down. He himself didn't have an issue uh, with perhaps using such pronouns, but he was concerned that the government was going to use coercion to force him to use it. And he had done a lot of study on totalitarian regimes and believed that this was a totalitarian tactic and he decided he would not go along with it. Uh, we currently have a situation, I, because of our election that was called, the legislation I don't believe has passed, um, uh, this conversion therapy ban. And we had... Um, a, Jojo Ruba a few weeks ago to talk about that briefly. We didn't get into as much as it really deserves. But the government is trying to prevent conversations from happening. Some people think that's an overstatement. But there have been other ways that a government and government-sponsored um, ways of communicating have cause people to be afraid to say what they think. Uh, and and so what we're seeing is further, further encroachment of government influence into our personal lives. I had Don Hutchinson, lawyer Don Hutchinson, a few weeks ago. And while he was quite positive about his understanding of religious freedom in Canada, he gave us more than one example about how he believed the Supreme Court of Canada, the highest court of the land, made decisions that were not based on our Constitution, but on for other reasons that have actually prevented persons and organizations 
from living according to their consciences. And is that really the place of government? And according to the Bible, it's pretty clear that it's not. We're a little spoiled in much of the Western world because for many centuries, a Western law has been more or less built upon biblical principles. It's not always been true. Jim Crow laws, uh, the eugenics movement. There have been things that a government has been part of that have been very, very bad. But there was still, the Bible had this point of reference, which is one of the things that has fueled things like good and godly social justice that rid the Western world of slavery and, and brought about minority rights. Uh, for, for people who were wrongly disadvantaged by the majority. This all comes from a proper understanding of Bible. But now what's happening more and more is that the Bible is less and less a point of reference. And so as a result, uh, we're seeing government taking the place of God. And for the believer in God, for the person who treasures the scriptures and believes that the scriptures uh, is our, the word of God, that should put us in conflict with government. But it's, it's, it's tragic that for many believers who value the Bible, they resolve the conflict between their conscience and government by using the beginning of Romans 13 that we should simply be submissive to the governing authorities. And that, that ends, ends the tension, but it doesn't. Because we need to, I was going to say driven, but we should be led by the, God's commandment to first love him and then love one another. Um, so briefly, for the, for the next few moments, I want to look at some biblical examples of, of how the, the Bible illustrates for us this tension that exists from time to time between godly people, people who want to, who love God and want to serve him and want to obey his word, and conflict with the ruling authorities. Uh, one big one is Moses. Moses grew up, uh, adopted into Pharaoh's household in Egypt in a time when there was this horrific oppressive slavery of his people. In, when he was about 80 years old, God calls him. And what does God call him to do? He calls him to confront the ruling authority of Egypt and says, you know, here's what you want to do, O King Pharaoh, but this is God's will. And he threatened him. He threatened him that if he didn't listen to God's demand to let the people go, there would be very serious consequences. Now, interestingly, Moses... Um, didn't lead a rebellion. He didn't go to the people of Israel and smuggle in arms and um, call them to uh, to fight uh, Pharaoh and, and his armies in order to, to escape the tyranny of Pharaoh and of Egypt. God led this, but what I want what I want to show here though is if, if you look closely at the story, we don't have time to do that. When Moses made his initial demand of Pharaoh, it was a, a request by God that they would go into the wilderness for three days to hold a festival before the Lord. Now, God's plan 
was to completely deliver the people of Israel. But he did it in a very strategic way. Again, we don't have time to get into it all. But God sent Moses in to work a a subversive plan that would result in the release of his people. Now, did they do it legally? Well, they were under the control of Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't really want them to go. God twisted his arm. The main, what we see here is God didn't respect the ruling authority of Egypt. Well, maybe he did, because he sent Moses in to initially make a demand, call it a request, whatever you want. Uh, he didn't just lead the people out. So on one hand, there was an acknowledgement that Pharaoh had this authority, but when then Pharaoh wouldn't go along with what God wanted, God made things really, really difficult for Pharaoh and his people. Let, let's move on. Story of Rahab. Uh, Rahab was a Canaanite living in Jericho, the first town that was part of the conquest of the Promised Land under Joshua. Well, Joshua sent in these two spies, and she lived uh, either on top of or in the big fortified wall. We talked about that last week when we when we talked about the blowing of the shofar, and that's the walls of Jericho came tumbling down and the city was totally destroyed, except for Rahab and her family. Um, what um, Rahab actually protected these spies and lied to her own people uh, to, in order to protect them. And as a result, she and her family were preserved when the city was conquered. Now, what was going on with Rahab is she understood that there was a higher ruling power that really did have the upper hand. They had heard what happened in Egypt, and which meant many people had heard about what happened between the, with the people of Israel and Egypt. And she knew that she needed to get on God's side in order to preserve her life and that of her family, and God rewarded that. And so Rahab was willing to... to take sides and take the side of God. Um, And she was right to do so. Then we have the story of David and Saul in in 1 Samuel. So Saul, uh, or Shaul in Hebrew, David is David in Hebrew. Um, Saul uh, was the first king of Israel, started off okay, but it wasn't too long before things went really bad with him. And um, he did a couple of things, serious things, uh, against God's directions. And God decided to remove him. And he sent the prophet Shmuel Samuel to anoint David as the new king. They did make it public. supposed to be pretty secret. But pretty soon after that, David became popular. And, 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 and Saul got more and more depressed and more troubled and, and really off base. But he was the anointed king of Israel. And, and, and that continued until the day that he died. But he saw what was happening with David. He became very jealous of him. And it was his policy to get rid of David. David didn't take that lying down. And in fact, Saul's son, Jonathan, who was David's best friend, sided with David against his father. Now, David was determined to preserve Saul's life. And he was going to wait, no matter how difficult it was. He he didn't think it was right for him to bump off the king. He waited for God to take care of that, and he suffered. But he still lived a life contrary to the ruling authorities. 
let's go to Daniel. Daniel and his friends uh, were taken along with many other Jewish people to Babylon. This is many years after David. And um, there's a couple of stories here. Uh, for, let's look sort of his friends, first of all. So it, the friends, uh, we don't know why we don't hear about Daniel in this story, but uh, there was a, a rule that when there was all these sounds and, and, and all this, uh, that uh, announcements, there was this big statue idol that was erected. And, no, and whenever the announcements were made, everybody had to bow down to this bound down to this this statue and Daniel's friends wouldn't um, the punishment was going to be being thrown in a fiery furnace and so they didn't do it they disobeyed they were thrown into the fiery furnace and they were preserved they were ready to to die in that furnace but they stood they stood against the king's edict similarly Daniel faced faced it where um, it was decreed only uh, the king could be prayed to, and any other prayer to any other god was deemed illegal, and the punishment was going to be thrown to the lions. Daniel didn't obey. Now, this is a part I don't understand. So Daniel prayed three times a day, which is a traditional Jewish custom. He did in front of an open window, and you know, people talk about, oh, you know, in the age to come, I can't wait to ask so-and-so certain questions. Well, I guess this one is mine. Daniel, like, did you really have to pray in front of an open window for everyone to see? And you know people like that. So it's, it's when we start to analyze some of these ways that people have taken a stand against government, um, often it seems very strategic. But then Daniel, like, why did he throw this in the face of the governing authorities? And, you know, some of this, you know, how, do, how do we decide what to do when we're in conflict with the government? Well, God's alive and well. And the, I love the book of James, where, where James writes that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But you must not be double-minded. The double-minded man should expect nothing from God. And um, I like to talk about how the double-mindedness that James talks about has to do with not really being willing to do the wisdom that God gives us. So who does God give wisdom to? He gives it to the people who are really going to do what he tells them to do. And I don't know if God specifically told Daniel to pray in front of an open window like that, or it was his own conviction, I don't know. But when you're in a situation and you don't know what to do, but you know you need to do something, go to God and let him give you his strategy for what uh, for what you should do. And maybe you shouldn't write a book about it, because even, even the story of Daniel, are we supposed to just go public every time we want to take a stand against the government? Looking at some of these other stories, I don't think so. But here's another public one. Mordecai in the book of Esther. Uh, the, the king of Persia made a decree uh, instigated by a pretty despicable man by the name of Haman, who we liked, his name we like to blot out, but that's another story for another time. Uh, and the decree was that whenever Haman was uh, pa passing by, you had to bow. 
And Mordecai wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And here's a very interesting, an interesting thing. What happens in terms of the consequences? Uh, Haman was so incensed by what Mordecai was not doing and not bowing down to him. Not only did he want to destroy Mordecai, he ended up getting the king to issue another decree that all the Jewish people of Persia, no matter where they lived, would be obliterated on a particular day. And, uh, you know, so often what happens when we begin to contemplate us taking a stand against authorities, and that authority could be at work. Sadly, it could be in your family. We've told that with our with our kids. So we have a lot of kids and those, all those years where the older kids would would um, babysit the younger kids and we get to go out, my wife and I, and we'd usually put one of the older children in charge. Usually the oldest, but we won't get into that right now. And what we would tell the kids was, you must do you must do anything and everything that whoever's in charge tells you to do, unless it's evil. I guess thinking back on that, that's quite a burden to put on a young child. Uh, but we wanted to make clear to them that the authority that we were investing in the person in charge was not 100% absolute. The individual, difficult for a five-year-old, but easy for a, maybe no, easier for a nine-year-old, but still really difficult. And you know how difficult it is to take a stand against anyone who's in a position of power. But we need to understand that it's the individual that's been given the right and obligation by God to determine what is truly right and what is truly right and what is truly wrong. Now, we might make a wrong decision, and we might pay the consequences. Uh, Daniel's friends were thrown to the furnace. Uh, people of Israel suffered harder because of, of Moses' demand to let the people go. The edict of to destroy all the Jewish people was a result of one man's decision not to go along with the governing authority. There are all sorts of consequences. So we need to weigh this very carefully. But the individual still is free. The individual is free. Now, one of the things, and, and if we had longer, there are other passages to go to, um, to, to look at, at, at this issue. And um, I, I'm thinking I'm going to pick that up next time. I, I, what I was going to do is, is talk about Yeshua's miss, mission, Jesus's mission, and how it functioned and functions today. Because uh, I think we need to spend time in that. But I, I, there's a, one or two other passages that I think we really should look at that puts these things in in, in perspective. But uh, and also makes the not perspective as much as uh, gives us the proper priority of how to address this. Um, so yes, the individual is free, but it's a freedom that we just shouldn't use any old way. So some of the when. The COVID restrictions started, some of the things that we were most concerned about, we, the collective we were most concerned about, were some of the fun that we couldn't do. The sporting events, the the movies, the restaurants, and some of these things that are more fun. And and I was concerned that 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 we were putting our conveniences and our fun ahead of public safety. Now I think if if that really is the scenario, um, I think when it comes to conveniences and, and, and fun, that those things 
should take second place to something like general human health and safety. But then there are other issues such as the true needs of people and when they are being when people are being harmed because of certain regulations that we might think are misguided. We are free to think those thoughts. We are free to make certain decisions. We might end up suffering the consequences. We might get thrown to the lions. We might get thrown into the fiery furnace, hopefully metaphorically, more than more than literally. We might suffer consequences. But we're free. It's kind of difficult, you know, to, even to, for someone who, who, my default goes into this kind of fear thing. I, I, I like to talk what what I think is true, but I actually want people to like me. I want them to to respond favorable to me. And it seems that the way God made this world and and the way the world's made up now of because of what the Bible calls sin and the, and the curse of God and things don't go the way they should. Expecting people to like all my decisions and actions is just not, not, not reasonable for me to think that. Anyway, that, that for now I think I'm gonna I'm mainly gonna leave it at that. We're gonna come back to this next time because I want to look at the nature of what uh, Yeshua really came to do, and how that relates to some of this. Um, but before that, remember I mentioned how uh, scripture is is not as broken up as we as we find it to be in in the pages of our uh, or screens of our English Bibles, most translations. Um, and it's interesting after you know we talk about some of this. We look at Romans 13 that begins with let every person be subject to the governing authorities. To go back a few verses, because there is no verse 13 in Paul's letter, it's simply a, a letter. So in what we now call, I'm going to read from what we now call Romans 12, verse 14, to, because I want to leave us with a with an, a bit of an attitude check. Because we're talking, you know, I broached the subject of we're free as individuals, we need to put God's priorities ahead of even government priorities. How do we know when to do what? Not that clear. Need to pray to God for wisdom. But there is a heart attitude. Because, you know, it's, some people have the attitude, well, no one's going to tell me what to do. And I don't find that attitude in Scripture. That's, even though some of the people who have made a stand have made incredible stands, like Mordecai, like Daniel, like Daniel's friends. Uh, but their attitude wasn't wasn't like this kind of self-derived thing. So Romans 12, 14, and I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to again repeat Romans 3, verse 1. Let love be genuine. Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. You know, I wasn't going to start there. Yeah, I will anyway. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, which is trouble. Be constant in prayer. That would help. Contribute to the needs of the saints, that's other believers, and seek to show hospitality. Could it be even when the government tells us not to? Not, not just wild parties, folks. For the people that really need our presence, or they need and be in our presence, and need to be cared for. 
Continuing on, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Here's attitude here. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Remember, that's as much as it depends on you. If other people get upset with you doing the right thing, that's another story. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And here's a, this is, for this is oh, Romans 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Do not be overcome by evil. Sometimes, and what has happened, is we think that if the ruling authorities become really bad, then we have a right to be bad. Mm Mm-mm. We are always called, even if we have to do something that is hard and harsh, we must do it out of love, out of concern. And remember, love is not just about being nice. We need to be truly loving. That is caring for others, not self-seeking. God-seeking that leads to loving other people. And when we do that, that might put us into conflict with government policy. And if it does, whether for you or for me, may God help us to know when, to know how, to do so, and to do so in love. And so again, please feel, please feel free to share this uh, video or audio with others. Leave your comments in the comments section. You can send your email comments and questions to comments at thinkingbiblically.org. Please subscribe, and we're going to continue this on, God willing, next time. And so until then, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.